0: some common sense. Yes,
1: sir, they the cars in the
0: we still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. And joining me today, we'll have two surprises, and I'll interview them, or introduce them, actually, a little bit later on. It's good to be back in New York. There is some goings-on right now, of course, in the the Idaho case of Ethan Chapin, Zayner uh Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves. And it has to do with, with, with the gag order. Uh, The Idaho Supreme Court ruled against media outlets on Monday and will uphold gag orders in place for the trial of Brian Koberger in Moscow. But you know something, the trial is not a done deal yet. It hasn't been decided. And that will begin on uh, June 26th when the probable cause hearings occur. Uh, The opinion by the court was released by Idaho Supreme Court ruled against the gag order petition that was filed by more than a dozen media outlets in Idaho and in the region. The justices ruled that while the media outlets properly established necessary standing to file the claim, it should have been presented to the Latar County District Court first before bringing to the Idaho Supreme Court. Uh, The quote from the, the court was, the petitioners have forgotten that we are the court of last resort in Idaho, not the court of first resort. Uh, The ruling issued Monday dismisses the media's attempt to vacate the gag order issued by the Latar County District Attorney Judge, which went into effect on January 3rd of this year. The gag order bars the attorneys for the defense and prosecution, as well as law enforcement, from commenting about the case outside of uh, court documents. Brian Koberger is accused of murdering the four University of Idaho students in November 13th, Of 2022 in the early morning hours inside their home near the college campus. He's currently being held in the Latar County Jail and his preliminary hearing is set for June 26th as we all know. To join us in today's um, discussion about this gag order uh, we have a retired attorney, actress, mother of five, the always affable Melanie Little. Good to see you, <laughs> Melanie.
2: Always oh, available. Good. It's great to see you so early today. Um, well,
0: Melanie, you know, it's funny, you know, as you guys know, I really got the police off the cuff mug. Mm-hmm. A lot of you guys know I fly by the seat of my pants and I decide in an hour I'm going to do a show at one. And then I call you guys if you're around and you've never failed me, it seems. You're always... Uh, You're almost always available, unless you're at a Ranger game or something like
2: that. Don't even talk about the Rangers.
0: (laughs) It's great to have you here. Also with us today is retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil?
3: I'm doing pretty good, Billy. And I give him a call like 1230 or something. He's like, I'm
0: going on. You're coming on. I'm like, no
3: problem. (laughs) Here we are.
0: It's it's admirable that that we're able to do this, and what allows us to be able to do this is something called experience, you know. And the more these shows you do, you better get you get at it. Except Melanie Little, who just hit the the podcast world and immediately
2: immediately became a superstar.
3: She hit the ground running, Billy. She hit the ground running.
2: you guys don't have to put makeup on. You don't have to do your hair. You know, so it's like a lot easier for you guys to get ready in a half an hour. That's you know? true,
0: but nobody people already love you. They decide okay, over a year whether they love us or not. You know, <laughs> you're already well loved in the podcast.
2: community. Oh, I love your fans. Thank you.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's talk about. Let, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back three months to when these um, gag orders uh, were issued. I, I believe they gave a date in January. It was January third, I believe it was. Now, we all, what what that uh, precluded a lot was A, leaks from law enforcement, which undoubtedly was happening and is still happening, right? But less now than ever before. So really from the point of view of a judge that's trying to set the stage for a fair trial, if in fact this case does go to trial, the judge felt there was the necessity to issue a gag order. And some of the things we've seen, and if I can criticize Uh, Media, as well as social media, is that what this does is when they don't get fresh information, they start making stuff up. So there's sort of a double edged sword to it. Instead of getting accurate, real information, they start making up information and putting out things three, four months later and say, breaking news. And we covered some of the things that I've seen some stations (laughs) say, breaking news. We covered that three months ago. And I'm like, where were they? You know, how is this breaking news? Well, I don't want to do a show on criticizing other media but anyway what was the need why was the need for this gag order and we can all agree or disagree but i think it's a good discussion to have phil your thoughts on that
3: well listen this is a capital murder case uh, four uh, young students were slain they were they were slaughtered and obviously high profile case it had uh international media attention so i think the gag order being in place is not a bad idea We don't need anonymous sources in the media, you know, coming out with different theories and conspiracy thoughts, and let's stick to the facts. Uh, In this case, I think uh, the gag order was probably the right thing to do. Um, However, you know, uh, it seems like it's expanding out into other areas of uh, the case, but uh, any of the uh, main participants in the case, witnesses, people who were directly affected, uh, all for the gag order.
0: Melanie, your thoughts.
2: You know, the importance of a a gag order in a case like this is to prevent, like you said, misinformation from spreading. And as we saw in the beginning of this case, there were certain potential witnesses whose lives were really upended by this. There were a couple of gentlemen who were doxxed by the media and, you know, the internet sleuths and bullies really started um, accusing some of these guys as suspects to the point where one of them, who was a neighbor... Uh, is forced to carry a gun now because he's afraid for his own life. So that's why an order like this is important in a case like this, because we don't want things like that to happen. It can be very dangerous if misinformation gets out there.
0: You know, Melanie, never before in uh, human history, except the Internet era, has these type of things? You even use the term "doxed." Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not up on the internet, you don't even know what that word means. You know? Yeah,
2: you know. And if your viewers don't know what it means, I had to ask my kids because I didn't know what "doxed" meant <laughs> either. But what that means is you, they blast out a person's name and address and whereabouts so that people can go, you know, pick in front of their house or do whatever they want with that information, and it's very dangerous.
0: Well, Melanie, we remember through this case, the early days of this case, how many people according to social media was suspect. Number one, Mm -hmm. remember all the people, the guy at the food truck and my guy, he was tried and convicted by social media. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. the person that lived across the street who you're referring to, his name was put out there. Uh, The boyfriend of um, one of the girls who had gone, gone away for a while. He was like, where is he? You know, they were like, they wanted him hung too. It was incredible. Phil.
3: You know, uh, Billy, you're making all great points. Uh, when you think about it, they were pointing the finger at the food truck guy right away, based on a very short clip of uh, video that was put out there. Uh, when you looked at the thing in, in total, uh, total, you know, it was totally uh, maybe ten or twelve minutes. Uh, it appeared that he wasn't as suspicious, but that fifteen or twenty second clip, uh, yeah, it looked like he might have been lurking in the background, following two of the victims. Again, uh, very, very. Uh, You know, uh, uh, they selected a piece of video, put it out there in the conspiracy theories run wild. Same thing with the ex-boyfriend. They were looking to point the finger at him. Uh, The guy walking his dog that Melanie talked about that was now forced to carry a gun. I mean, if you looked at it quickly, uh, perhaps it was something to look into. But once the police uh, do do an investigation or an interview and they they take that person out of the equation, Uh, however the media they just run with it and you have all your super salutes on online and and just people in general coming up with the ideas and uh you know the internet is a good thing and then there's bad things about it as well you know we get news very very quickly the news cycles run very very quickly but again the conspiracy theories run wild
0: i want to play a little bit of this from law and crime it'll get a little bit of a different point of view from uh a litigator named Rich Schoenstein.
4: Two weeks later, on January 18th, the order was amended to include attorneys representing the family of the victims. It's those family members now pushing back on the order.
5: I don't know what their motivation is, but their their point is well taken, which is why does this gag order apply to an attorney of a victim who is not directly part of the court proceedings?
4: Litigator Rich Schoenstein tells Law and Crime Network the motivation behind the motion may not be totally clear, but he does say the gag order as a whole is bizarre.
5: It's very unusual, and I think it's improper. The victims are not parties to the case. And so when you think about a court imposing rules for the trial, and that's essentially what this is. The court imposing rules for the trial, it imposes those rules on the parties. So in a criminal case, it's on the prosecution, it's on the defense. It can be on witnesses once they testify and are subject to the jurisdiction of the court. But it's very odd to have a gag order like that apply to people who aren't part of the court proceedings, directly part of the court proceedings. And I think it's it's dangerous territory to sort of go in that direction.
0: Melanie, now, what? of course, he's talking from the perspective of a litigator, and he wants uh, total transparency. He wants to be able to talk. He wants to be able to present things. But I think the necessity um, to this gag order was the fact that even on the part of the victim's families is that things were being told to them and they were in turn telling those things to the press, which upset uh, I guess the judge and potentially the district attorney. So it was under the guise of a fair trial, maybe not a guise, maybe it's real true that they didn't want this stuff to uh, leak because of that. Your feelings, Melanie.
2: Uh, I think his beef is with the fact that the gag order extends to the families and the attorneys of the families. And and maybe that is overly broad because that is something that's not often done. Um, I mean, I think it's important to point out that the original gag order, it's also called a non dissemination order. So if you see that phraseology, it means the same thing. But the original gag order did not extend to the families and the lawyers of the families. And that was something that was actually entered into by stipulation of the attorneys of the prosecution and the defense. And the judge signed off on that. So they agreed that there should be a gag order in this case, extending to the prosecution and the defense and law enforcement. And the judge signed off on that. 15 days later, they had another meeting with the families and the families' attorneys. And again, everyone agreed that this was going to e- extend the gag order to the families and the attorneys for the families. So that's where we are now. And now but, the, okay, news, the news outlets filed a petition to have the gag order struck down, but they filed it in the wrong court. So we'll get into that.
0: That's pretty uh, amazing that, you know, these news organizations have usually have top level attorneys and mm-hmm. that they could make a mistake seemingly so elementary as to file the petition in the wrong court is baffling to me.
2: I don't know that, um, you know, there was any... Uh, Bad lawyering in this case, I think. So the thing is, the original order was entered into the uh, was in the district court where Judge Megan Marshall is, who is the magistrate judge that's assigned to this case currently. That is the lowest court in Idaho, the district court. The next court where you would appeal to is the uh, Court of Appeals and the highest state. The highest court in the state of Idaho is the Supreme Court. It's different here in New York, which is why it's confusing, because in New York, the lowest court is the Supreme Court. So instead of going to Judge Marshall and saying, Judge Marshall, we want to overturn this gag order, which is what the Supreme Court is saying they should have done, they brought their lawsuit in the Supreme Court first. And the court said exactly what you said, that this is not the court of first resort, it's the court of last resort.
0: You know, Melanie, one of the things I think that led to all of this, and and I'm also a little bit baffled as to why this has taken so long. Again, now we find out, of course, the attorneys for the press filed in the wrong court. And that's a little bizarre. But what we had spoken about on a previous show was that the system here in Idaho is much different. This probable cause hearing, whoever heard of it taking place five to six months after the arrest of of Brian Koberger, five to six months we know that in New York, New York City, much of New York State, we have the grand jury system, which allegedly is, um, is secretive. And I, I say allegedly because if the wrong client is being indicted, it will leak like a sieve. And we've seen that before, you know, and in New York, that old expression, you could indict a ham sandwich. Uh, but the grand jury system allows the prosecutor to, to do certain things and not put all the evidence out there. And if he gets what's called the true bill, which is an indictment, you go forward. And that's not the case in Idaho. And I think that's what's creating a lot of the, um, the uncertainty I'll, I'll say in regards to uh, this gag order and keeping the information secretive, Melanie.
2: In Idaho, they have the choice of going grand jury or going preliminary hearing. And They choose most often to go with the preliminary hearing route. That's what they know. That's what they do. They don't use a grand jury very often. Here, we use a grand jury. A grand jury is secret. The defense is not involved in the grand jury. The defense does not know the evidence that's being presented to the grand jury. The grand jurors are sworn to secrecy. They are not allowed to talk about what they discussed during the proceedings. And then, like you said, they decide whether or not to indict the defendant. In this case, the preliminary hearing is going to be held where the prosecution has to lay out all of their evidence and show that there is probable cause for him to go to trial. The defense can be, they are involved in this proceeding, obviously, and Coburg is, is going to be there with his attorneys. They can cross-examine witnesses. They can present their own evidence, which we saw with the subpoena uh, for BF who was one of the surviving roommates, the defense wanted to subpoena her to come to testify at this hearing. That uh, motion was withdrawn because she lives out of state in Nevada and they agreed to meet with her in Nevada. So it's a different process. It will probably lead to an indictment in my opinion, but it's just, they do it differently there. And I don't, you know, I can't fault them for that. I just think, and they still could do a grand jury. And we won't know about it until after it's done. So, a lot of balls in the air here.
0: Absolutely, Mickey Mantle. Thank you so much for the twenty-pound super sticker. And he says he has respect to the A-team. Well, thank you, brother. We appreciate oh, that. very nice. I didn't thank know you. we were the A-team, but i'll <laughs> I'll take I'll take that moniker. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, so, so yeah, it's. Um, it's a little bit uh I think to someone that's not used to this type of court proceeding we, we we deal with the New York style, which is grand jury and that type of thing. It seems to me and, and again uh, it, it's dragging on this 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 uh, you would think that a decision would have been made already in regards to this di- a gag order, and again, I find it hard to believe that they filed into the wrong court. I mean, that's that's baffling to me.
2: Well, it was a 15-page decision. It was a very, very well-written decision, and it was it was unanimous. Five judges agreed on this decision, and they just said, listen, we don't have original jurisdiction here. It doesn't mean that if uh, you go the right route and, and you are denied in the lower courts, that if you bring it to us, it doesn't mean we won't overturn it then. It just means we can't overturn it now because of jurisdictional issues.
0: But Melanie, the, so, the, some of the news organizations are from Idaho with Idaho attorneys. Mm. They didn't know which court to file the brief in.
2: <laughs> I can't speak to what they knew or what yeah. they didn't know or, you know. You
0: answered that like a true attorney. Show, your <laughs> yeah. well, well, here's my thoughts. The,
2: the bottom line is this
3: any little tidbit of information that's going out into the media is turning into conspiracy theory. So the fact that they have a gag order in place is going to protect the integrity of the case going forward. Now we only get one shot uh, at, you know, uh, getting justice for these victims. So they don't want to have any chance of polluting jury pools and things of that nature, putting stuff out there that leads to conspiracy theories. Again, as we know, the jury system in this country you need one person with reasonable doubt, uh, and again, uh, you could wind up with a uh, with a uh, you know no, tr- no true bill at a grand jury, or you could wind up with a, a, a you know a complete exoneration at trial. And we don't want that. So I think the fact that uh, the court ruled now that the gag order is in place, you know, even though it extends out to the families of people who aren't really directly related to the case, it's still a good uh, tool that I think that they're employing because. We're going to keep the integrity of the case. We don't want anything out there. We saw all the things that happened with people getting doxxed and stuff like that. So, again, you know, I'm Phil, all for Phil, it.
0: I'll just to interrupt you. That's not the court's concern. The court's concern is to get uh, Brian Koberger a fair trial. And the fact that news organizations and people on social media are making stuff up, that's the last thing in the judge's mind that issued this gag order.
3: Well, yeah, of course. But uh, I think that uh, if things happen during the trial that could lead to an appeal, I mean, they want to cover all their bases, dot all their i's, cross all their T's. The prosecution has a tremendous, tremendous responsibility in this case to put forward and get a conviction. And again, you talked about the amount of time between uh, when he was arrested to this next uh, hearing on probable cause. Uh, There was a lot of information. I mean, there's pages of stuff that was recovered. You have three or four different crime scenes. We don't know what was recovered as of yet. So, again, there's a lot of stuff to go through there. And I think that uh, once they turn over the discovery to the defense – they're going to need time to examine it. You know, the uh, uh, they were trying to get a hold of that other witness and make her come in. And now they're going to go interview her based on her statement that the other girl that was in the house, uh, BF, I believe we're going to refer to her as. So, again, there's a lot going on there. And and like I said from the beginning, I'm all for the gag order. And I think it just preserves the integrity of the whole case.
0: Melanie, you know something? I sort of unfairly went away from you after I hit you with a left hook. So I'm
2: oh. going <laughs> to let fun. you count you like. What left hook was that? <laughs> I think I finished what I what, what which what, what were you referring to
0: I was just referring to that how the gag order was issued went to that, the wrong court yeah all of that stuff so I. yeah I you know
2: it's um listen freedom of the press is an important issue you know so they have to weigh the the right of a defendant to a fair trial with the freedom of the press and I think even as I'm looking again at this 15 page order from the Supreme Court of Idaho they um stipulated that the families, Judge Marshall reiterated that she's not saying that clients cannot talk to the media, meaning the families, but but that the lawyers of the families cannot talk to the media.
0: Okay, with that in mind, let's play a little bit of this right here.
4: Shannon
2: Gray,
0: the attorney
4: representing Kaylee Gonzalez's family, filed a motion back in February to appeal the gag order.
5: There are two challenges, as I understand it, to the gag order. One is by the media. There are lawyers representing a collective of media outlets challenging the gag order, and they went to the Supreme Court of Idaho, and that court said, no, 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 you can't come to us right away. You have to go back to the lower court. And then we have this separate application by the counsel for one of the victims And the lower court was waiting to deal with that until it saw how the Supreme Court handled the other challenge. So that's what happened. The Supreme Court last week rejected the media challenge, and then the lower court set this challenge for hearing on May 25.
4: On April 24th, the Idaho Supreme Court ruled the gag order would remain in effect. More than 30 news organizations, including Law & Crime Network, brought the request to lift the order. Supreme Court justices said the argument should be taken to the magistrate judge who initially issued that gag order. After that, Gray requested a hearing about the order, which is now set for May 25th.
5: This is a gag order that the court imposed principally on parties in the case, so the prosecution. Uh, the defense, the investigators, uh, not to speak to the media outside the court. And the gag order is written very broadly so that it appears to also apply to victims and their counsel. And that, I think, is the issue that's going to come before the court on May 25th.
4: Gray argues the gag order should only apply to attorneys, investigators, and their agents, and defendant Brian Koberger. Gray believes the family members of the victims should be allowed to speak under their First Amendment rights. But even with a hearing date set for later this month, Schoenstein says an official ruling may not be made right away.
0: You know, Melanie, that's what's baffling to me. The hearing is scheduled for May 25th, but as we all know, the probable cause uh, hearings start June 26th. So will this gag order, if it's decided to lift it, be in time for that? Or will the judge just say, hey, by the time June 26th comes around, information is going to start coming out anyway by the way of documentation in regards to what the prosecution has. So let me just keep the gag order in place. Will that be, and I know you can't predict what, the judge's thoughts will be, but mm-hmm. in your opinion, what do you think?
2: Well, the judge can do one of two things. She can rule from the bench and give her, her decision right then and there, or she can say, I'll, I'll take your arguments under advisement and I'll issue a written decision. And then it, who knows how long it would take for a written decision in this case. So either one of those two things could happen. She could rule right away on the bench, or she could say, I'm going to you know take my time with this and issue a written decision. So yeah. May 25th to June 26th, it is possible that she would not have reached a decision on it by then, but we'll have to see.
0: So the, you know, as I said, it might be all academic by the time, if it is reversed. As I said, a lot of information will come out based on the probable cause hearing, based on the documentation that will be released because the uh, defense is going to get all of that discovery information. And as a result, so will the press. And so they'll be just reporting on factual information for a change instead of making things up, you know?
2: Correct. The defense has been getting that information all along. And that is why the probable cause hearing is not happening until the end of June is because Koberger agreed to that because his attorneys wanted to see all the evidence. They get to do discovery. The the prosecution has to hand over all of the evidence. They get to go through it with a fine tooth comb. That's why they want to interview BF. And they needed time to prepare. So, you know, under Idaho law, they must have a preliminary hearing within 14 days of the arrest, unless the defendant waives that time frame, which he did in this case. But Melanie, delay is his choice. Correct me if I'm wrong,
0: Melanie. Correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, but they don't have to release all of the discovery information. They can piecemeal release it. No, I believe they have that. to
2: give the defense all of their evidence no yeah, at
0: some point, but it doesn't say at what time they have to do it. What time frame
3: it has to be a reasonable time, I would imagine. So Are you saying that the defense
0: hearing? already has all of the, the discovery right now? I would think so. Yes, 100%. And that's, that's the
2: difference between a preliminary hearing and a grand jury, right? Because the defendant is not involved in a grand jury.
3: They 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 might be turning it over a little at a time as they get it too, Bill. I mean, whatever they had initially, they'd have to turn over, I guess, in a reasonable amount of time. And then if other stuff comes back, let's say uh, lab examinations or different things or new evidence comes about, then they would turn that over at that appropriate time. And uh, I would imagine that, you know, the judge uh, instructs the, uh, the, the uh, prosecution to turn it over in a reasonable amount of time. And uh, that's probably where they are uh, now in, in the period. And, and I think you made a good point, Bill, about uh, if the judge rules on the 25th and says, let's keep it in, uh, you know, let's keep the, the gag order in place. Or as Melanie said, she could say, I'm going to give a written decision and it just stays in place. So it may not uh, it may not change anything until the next hearing.
0: You know, I, I was just thinking that uh, in, I remember back in trials in New York City where it was the first day of the trial. And the dist- assistant district attorney from Manhattan would hand boxes of discovery over to the defense attorney. And he'd be like, Your Honor, are you kidding me? Um, I can't start this trial. I'm going to need two months to go through all of this discovery. So, discovery material. So back then, it was very common. I think in New York, it went swung it completely now. the other way. Yeah. Where I think they have to give all the discovery within like three weeks or something,
3: Four, fourteen or fifteen days, I think, uh, it was which is absolutely
0: right now. ridiculous. Yeah. And that's why they're dropping cases like flies in in New York City because the prosecution cannot possibly. Uh, adhere to those rules. Melanie, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, withholding evidence is a big problem, you know, and if the defense can show that they had this evidence, and they didn't turn it over, it the, the result could be that it's precluded from being admitted into evidence. So, you know, they're not going to withhold the evidence that they have right now, it would be unethical to do so. And it could be a big problem later on at trial.
0: Melanie agreed, but it's I, I still a question as to what is uh, the time frame of this of discovery, and as I said in New York City, as Phil corrected me, it's 14 days. Which, for the prosecution, it's not it's not possible in, in cases to do that. So, as a result, in New York City, cases are being dismissed. I think they said mm-hmm. like 70 or 80 percent of the misdemeanor cases just getting dismissed because the pro- and I think there's a method to that. I think actually the district attorney's office wants that. You know. And we're,
3: we're talking about 14 days from date of arrest, not an indictment or anything like that. So it's 14 days from date of arrest. I would imagine prosecution has to turn over what they have. I mean, toxicology is six to eight weeks out on, on cases. So again, uh, 14 days is not really practical uh, when you're talking about evidence, uh, especially with something with, uh, regarding toxicology or something like that. And, and witnesses come forward later on. So again, it's, it's problematic in New York for sure.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, that's a that's a topic for a whole other show. The mess yeah. that is New York City criminal
0: we'll, justice. We'll schedule justice. that one. So oh, I can't, yeah. Don't
2: even get me started on that because that'll At be least. the best of my show. And then you know.
0: we could talk Folks, this is police off the cuff real crime stories. If you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. Make comments. We love to read your comments, and we love to respond to them when we can. When it gets too much. I can't respond to every single one, but I love to read your comments. We also have a Patreon with three different levels if you'd like to support us financially. And we have a YouTube channel memberships, which is growing. And you see the folks in the green font. They're all part of our YouTube channel. And we appreciate our fans, our subscribers, our friends, and that they're who make police off the cuff, real crime stories possible. So, This is so interesting. Let me put on uh, the Rich Schoenstein again and hear him. First, in the first instance, it's the trial level
5: judge reconsidering the order that's been issued. And this happens all the time. A judge issues an order uh, for anything. And the parties or whoever's affected can come in and ask for reconsideration or modification or even to withdraw the order altogether. So. I think this hearing is just going to be oral argument of the legal positions. I think you'll hear from counsel for the victim's family that wants this gag order modified so it doesn't apply to them. And you may hear countervailing arguments. I don't know if the prosecutors or the defense are going to take a position about the gag order. They certainly will have the right to be heard, but I don't know what they're going to say. And then the judge might decide it right then and there, could modify the order on the spot, or, as frequently happens at oral argument, the judge can say, "Thank you very much. I'm going to consider it, take it under advisement, and I'll be issuing a decision or order uh, in the in the you know in the near term."
4: With a looming preliminary hearing date set, Schoenstein believes a ruling will be made before June
5: 26th. That preliminary hearing is going to be an intense subject of media interest, so everybody has to know what the rules of the road are, who can speak to who, when. That has to be decided. So I think the judge is going to have to figure this out before then.
4: But there could be several different outcomes should the magistrate judge's ruling be appealed.
5: The trial judge could, could do a couple of different things. The trial judge could modify the order effective immediately and then it has to be appealed to be changed. Or the trial judge could modify it but could stay issue a stay of the modification pending appeal. Or whoever wants to appeal it could go up to the appellate court and ask the appellate court for an immediate stay pending a determination of appeal on the merits. That
2: happens sometimes. Melanie. Melanie. Your thoughts? That's a lot of lawyer speak, but basically he's right. <laughs> but the way he explained it is not um, not something that the average layperson who doesn't isn't familiar with the ins and outs of legalese and the court system would understand. But I, I think he's absolutely right.
0: You
3: know, Very technically got there.
0: When mm-hmm. we go back to um, where and why the order was issued, I think that the overriding. Uh, reason is to give the defendant a fair trial and it has nothing what in the same vein you know people start talking about freedom of the press and does this infringe upon freedom of the press like where you know that balance of a fair trial as and balancing freedom of the press what's at this point more important I think a judge would err on the side of a fair trial for the defendant. Phil?
3: I got to agree with you, Billy. You know, it's a fine line. It's a gray area. But uh, like you said earlier, we want to try and uh, do the best prosecution we can. Uh, we don't want any uh, mistakes made where you could wind up with appeal down the road. So again, I, I think everything that's being done is uh, by the prosecution and by the judge is on behalf of the victims in this case. And I'm going to read their names. Zanna Canodal, Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonzalez, Uh, We want justice for them. They're the victims in this case. They were horribly murdered. And uh, I don't think that anybody should get up in arms about this. Listen, you want to take it to court, the media outlets, uh, the judge will make the ruling and we'll just live whatever the results are.
0: Absolutely. You know, Melanie, we're going to get back to all of this gag order stuff, but what do you think is the potential? And this is probably a ridiculous question, but I want to ask it in case anyone else is thinking this. What do you think of a possibility that they do impanel the grand jury and if Brian Koberger testifies on his own behalf?
2: I do not think that that would happen. I do not think that he would testify in front of a grand jury. I, I don't can't imagine that his lawyers would want him to or let him to let him.
0: I didn't think Murdoch would testify
2: either. Well, he didn't testify in front of a grand jury. He, test- he, he was testified at a trial, not a grand right? jury. I mean, a trial. We ha- we're going to have to see how much evidence there is. And, and you know, listen, sometimes uh, clients who think they're the smartest person in the room want a chance to tell their story and they want to get up there because they think they can fool everybody. And I'm not saying that he's guilty and I'm not saying that he's not guilty. But it's always a risk to put a defendant on the stand. And in Murdoch, it was a huge risk. And obviously that, that did not work out well for him.
3: That was a Hail Mary with Murdoch.
2: Yeah. You, you know, know, and Lori she's going to say, what a tangled I mean, we web know we know weave.
0: <laughs> I what? said, what a tangled web we weave when we <laughs> choose to deceive. <laughs> right.
3: right out of his <laughs> mouth, right out of his mouth.
0: You know, just to bring that up, that just reminds me of, you know, psycho- psychology 101, when you learned, of, learned about Sigmund Freud. And that sounded more like a Freudian slip than someone that was actually thinking about what they were just going to say, you know?
2: Yeah, that was bizarre
0: was very oh, wow. bizarre. That was really bizarre. You know, this is back three months ago, and this is what we were hearing three months ago in, res- in regards to this gag issuing order.
6: ...a press release and attaching a judge's order issuing a gag order over this entire case, the investigation. In this gag order, uh, the Latow County Magistrate Judge Megan Marshall issued a non-dissemination order regarding the murder case against Brian Koberger. This order prohibits any communications by investigators, law enforcement officials, uh, personnel, uh, attorneys, agents of the prosecuting attorney or defense attorney concerning this case. And they, of course, have a copy of that order that was just filed this evening here in Laytaw County at the courthouse behind me. So that is big news now. The officials that we've been hearing from, Uh, we've been talking to here on court tv as well as the moscow police department who've been so vocal with press releases and press conferences now will not be communicating about this case Vinny.
1: and and this is fascinating because on the one hand we've heard a lot from investigators what they could tell us during the course of trying to capture a killer um but we're gonna have that probable cause affidavit and i wonder if this will delay the unsealing well, of the that. Judge
6: still unseals it, Benny. The judge could decide to keep it under seal. Uh, that's always a possibility. and we've seen that previously, but hopefully uh, they do follow through and unseal the affidavit, arrest affidavit, and reveal more details. At least we get some information about <coughs> that.
1: I, you, you think about it, if it does get unsealed and there's a gag order in place, where we there'll be no i I don't know if the judge will allow a response to it by the defense otherwise defense is not getting anything in front of the public what their side of the story is other than pleading not guilty um interesting development tonight chanley thanks so much for that um what do we know about his connection to washington state what he was doing there what
0: all right, so uh, we don't we don't need to know that because that was from something three months ago. We know the answers to the question that uh, mm-hmm. he just asked. So that was the uh, the history of this gig, or the, the the when, the where, and the why of it. Your thoughts, Melanie?
2: Well, the probable cause affidavit was released. It's eighteen pages long. We all have a copy of it. So you know, I think that I like Vinnie Politan, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was released. So we did get a copy of it. That's fair. We know what's in it. Uh, The defense does not need to talk to the media. They don't need to say anything. You know, it's up to the prosecution to prove their case. It's not up to the defendant to prove his innocence. So that's the challenge here.
0: Absolutely. And again, we as people that are both reporting on this and members of the public, we want there to be a fair trial because we would hate to see Someone that was guilty to get off in the same way we'd hate to see someone who was innocent get convicted. Uh, And again, maybe I don't repeat it enough that Brian Koberger is innocent until proven guilty. I get uh, criticized all the time for not saying that. I just said it, but I probably don't say it often enough because I'm from the prosecution side. And I looked, I looked, looked and look at a lot of the evidence in this case and It's very difficult to explain how he could be innocent with some of this evidence uh, that has been already presented by uh, the probable cause affidavit. Phil,
3: you know, Billy, everything that you're saying, 100 percent, I agree. There's a ton of evidence that was recovered. We don't know what the results of that evidence is going to yield just from the apartment gloves, uh, Marshall's receipts. That's going to lead to further investigation. The Marshall's receipts, maybe they went to the Marshall's store and they went to look for video of him purchasing items. It's a lot of things that need to be uh, brought out at the trial. Um, I just want to give a little bit of advice to the families who are are, are pushing to get uh, the gag order released. Have patience. I know that everyone in the case is probably frustrated because all indications are pointing towards Brian Kohlberger. However, we do have a jury system. We have a criminal justice system in this country. There are different rules and different aspects of that that need to be followed. I know it's frustrating for the families. I can't even imagine, but uh, we have to go with the system that we have in place. We have to allow the wheels of justice to turn. And I think that when the wheels of justice do turn, based on all the evidence we know, which I think is very minuscule to what's really going to be put forward at the trial we are going to get justice. It's just a long process right now. Frustrating, but hang in there, have patience. And, you know, both sides are going to do their jobs, prosecution and defense. And at the end of the day, let's hope and pray that we do get uh, justice for these uh, for these victims and their families.
0: Melanie, after the um, probable cause hearings that begin on June 26th, what, and I know you're not a bookie, but I'm just going to ask you, what chance do you think there would be for this case to go to trial? What you don't have to put a percentage, but what do you what do you believe is? Uh, do is I think
2: change? that the judge will that he will be indicted after the preliminary cause hearing, and that the judge will say we're going to trial on this? Yes, I absolutely think that will happen. I do not think she's going to dismiss the charges at the probable cause hearing.
0: No, no, no absolutely not, not. But or are,
2: I, are you I, asking me if after that he will plead guilty? And there's a potential deal? that he could plead
0: guilty, and let's not forget um, that Idaho has the death penalty. And they they could use that as a bargaining chip to potentially, if, if, again, if the evidence is as strong as potentially it could be, if his blood DNA is in there, in my mind, he's done. He's finished, you know. But again, O.J. Simpson's blood DNA was in the crime scene and they found him not guilty. So who am I to say this then, you know.
2: You can never bet on a jury. It's not a bet I would ever take. You never know what a jury's gonna do. Good and you point. never know, you know, even based on how Good long point. the jury was out. I mean, in Murdoch, the jury was out for 45 minutes. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, guilty, because everyone just agreed he was guilty. But it could also go the other way, where in 45 minutes they could go around their table and I'll take a vote and I'll say not guilty and then they're done. So you never know. It's not something I would ever want to bet on. But can I point out an interesting question in the chat? hundred percent. Samantha Barry asks, does his defense team actually believe he's innocent? That's a really interesting question. And the defense attorneys that I know feel that every defendant is entitled to a defense regardless of guilt or innocence and that the the procedures have to be followed and the system that we have is that the, the prosecution needs to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. So I don't know what they believe, I don't think it matters what they believe. They took an oath that they uphold to represent their clients zealously to the best of their ability. And his attorney is an excellent attorney. So if the defense knows that if they put him on the stand, he's going to lie about something, they can't put him on the stand. Right. So if, for example, a defendant confesses, to his attorneys that he did commit the crime but wants to get up on the stand and tell a totally different story that he did not commit the crime the attorney can't put him on the stand
3: can't allow him to lie and, and you, you know i know a lot of attorneys and they all have the same opinion uh, as you melanie that uh it doesn't matter whether or not you believe your client is innocent or guilty what it is is the system has to produce evidence and you know, find your client guilty. You don't have to prove him innocent. You just have to prove that he gets a fair trial and put whatever uh, you know counter evidence or exculpatory evidence that you have to try and uh, you know get the jury to acquit. Obviously, uh, but I think that uh, yeah, that's that's a very good question. I think you uh, made a very good point, Melanie. That it doesn't really matter what the what the defense attorney believes. It's about the evidence and it's about the court proceeding itself.
0: Lollipops. Regarding the house and Taylor went to the house. Why tear it down and deny the jurors? I believe they should not tear that house down till this. Agreed. Case, in fact, Agreed. goes to trial and, uh, the, the jury should be allowed to visit the house. You know, the defense will vigorously object to that, uh, for, to the jury going to the house. But I believe a fair judge would allow the jury to visit the house. But again, uh, I believe the defense doesn't want uh, the jury to go to the house. It
3: it may or may not come up whether or not they want to visit the house. But the bottom line is if the house isn't there anymore, there's never going to be a, a visit to the house. So the house should stay in place until the end of the trial. And after that, I guess every, you know, in my opinion, everything would be okay. They want to tear it down, sell it, whatever, but it should remain intact the way it was on the day of the murders until after the trial, 100%.
0: No, the house has already been donated to the University of Idaho, and right. they, they've indicated that they're going to knock it down, but I think it would, wait. Be, it would be ridiculous to knock it down before the trial. Melanie?
2: We did a whole show on this, so you can go back and watch the show that we did, but we all agreed <laughs> that the house should remain standing. Listen, the Murdoch jury went to the scene, and there is nothing more powerful, in my opinion, than going to the scene of the crime so that they could see the layout of the house. This house where these murders occurred is a very wonky layout. It's almost like a house put on top of a house put on top of a house. There's three different levels. I think that no matter how many 3D renderings are done, no matter how how many photographs a jury looks at, that there is nothing that could compare to actually being in the scene so that they can determine, you know, what did this person hear or not hear? Is it possible to hear something from the basement? If somebody's on the third floor, I wish that they would not demolish the house, but, That's up to the owner. And the owner is now the University of Idaho. And understandably, they don't want this in their community. But I think it's an important piece of evidence that should remain standing throughout the trial. Bill, I have have to piggyback that. that. That's a
0: great point because also there's certain other pieces of evidence, for example, a camera or an audio recording of some of the noises coming from that house. And the only way to realize how powerful that evidence is, is if, The jury was allowed to visit that house and actually see the distance from where that camera was to where the house is. And in fact, the room where potentially I think they heard a dog and they heard whimpering. And it was was that and is that a possibility? And the only way to fairly determine that is to allow the jurors to visit that house.
3: Billy, I just want to piggyback what you and Melanie just said. Based on the fact that we know that two individuals were home in the house, if you look at the layout of the house, they were in an area. Now, we know that DM did come face to face with Brian Koberger, but there was BF was also in the house. I think the jury visiting the location because there was super conspiracy theories as soon as it uh, came about that there were two people in the house that weren't touched and were home during the, the the time that the four people were slaughtered, all kinds of conspiracy theories were flying. So I think the jury would have a better understanding of the fact that two people were in the house During the time the murders were, when you look at the layout of the house, and and Melanie laid it out beautiful, that looked like a house that was a part of the house that was built after the first part was built, and there was so many different areas of that house. If you came in for the back, you were on the second floor, but if you came in for the front, you were on the first floor. So again, I think that demolishing the house, big mistake in my opinion. As Melanie said, it's up to the the, uh, college at this point. Uh, They took uh, possession of the house, but uh, I think it should remain intact. If that jury wants to visit it, I'm all for it.
0: You know, I think that's something that uh, even now that the judge should address and perhaps prohibit the University of Idaho from destroying that house since they're the owners of it right now. I think the judge should issue an order that no, you cannot destroy that house until this case is uh, properly disposed of. Melanie?
2: Somebody would have to make that motion. Somebody would have to make a motion saying we want a, uh, an injunction or a, a stay on this demolition of the house because we think it's material evidence. We think it's very important. Either side could make this motion, but I don't think that a judge on her own is going to make a determination like that. It's something that needs to be, uh, you know, again, gone through the proper channels. So we'll see what happens.
0: Melanie, that's why we love you, because you use the term lawyering and you use all these good attorney words, you know, <laughs> a stay. I love that. I love a stay. I love all these, these John John. words, you know, and uh, Phil and I, we, we talk in copisms, you know, <laughs> propology, victimology, you know, things like that, but we consciousness
3: love this, of guilt, consciousness
0: of, of Gary, you know, yeah. and we love to, we love the language of the law, you know,
2: Fugazi, and, Fugazi. You know Fugazi. Fugazi. that's the language <laughs> of the street though. <laughs>
0: My line
3: is spitball and spitball and
2: stuff. Here's another well, you know, interesting question. I don't want to hijack this, but can you, do you have time for one more? Go ahead, no, we have time. Absolutely. Okay, Danielle asks, uh, Melanie, is it true that if the defense doesn't ask for that particular evidence that they don't have to give it to them? No, that is not true. The, the prosecution has to turn over all the evidence, whether it's specifically asked for or not. Um, all the evidence that they have has to go to the defense. Otherwise, they'd be cherry picking and withholding and that could lead to, again, a mistrial a a miscarriage of justice and really big issues
0: in this case you know melanie it's sort of funny when i was a young cop i i I forget what case it was but i wrote something down on a mcdonald's wrapper and the district attorney goes do you have that mcdonald's wrapper i go it's covered in ketchup and i just i go no i threw it out well it's discovery i'm like well i just tell the Defense that I threw the McDonald's wrapper out. You know, I hate to admit to even eating McDonald's, but I I threw the wrapper out.
2: (laughs) I was gonna say, what great product placement for McDonald's if they want to come and be a sponsor?
0: (laughs) McDonald's, Burger King, Chinese food, pizza—that was cop food. That's all you could afford. Napkins, uh, all all kinds of stuff. Although I did, I did stop. I wouldn't. All the detectives in the three-two squad used to eat White Castle, and that was where I held up my hands. I was like, no. I'm not not <laughs> if you got, got to pull an all-nighter. Yeah, if you got
3: that's... to pull an all- all-nighter, that's not the food to be eating. I'll tell you that. Well, you, you know, Phil,
0: he's probably got a napkin in his shirt, and he's got fine dining from, you know, uh, Utensils in my
3: Italian case. restaurant,
0: you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: he's got now, the cloth napkins. <laughs> l-
3: listen, when I was in the Six O squad in Coney Island, we were lucky if we got a hot dog from Nathan's when it was busy, so. I mean, maybe uh, here and there we would have a sit-down, but it was always too busy to uh, stop
0: and eat, you know? He means a sit-down as sitting down to eat your food, not meeting with seven other Italians and deciding a beef. (laughs) Deciding if somebody lives or dies. You have to to define what you mean, Phil. You can't (laughs) use sit-down and... Two different ways, two different vernaculars. It, it's <laughs> funny
3: because when I was in Coney Island for seven years in the 6-0 squad, I mean, we very rarely sat down and ate like that. Then I went to Bay Ridge for a little while and and uh, sit down was once a week. You know, it was a lot, lot less busy there, so a lot less homicides. But uh, again, uh, we, we've had homicides two in one tour. You start out at 4 to 12 early in the tour, homicide 10 o'clock at night, another one. So very busy squad in those days, uh, late 80s, early 90s.
0: You know, it's funny. I don't know of people that have normal jobs and I don't consider law enforcement to be a normal job. And the fact that you could go to work one day and not see your family for four days because something Mm. happened at work that kept you there for three or four days And it's not like the police department provides you with meals and wonderful sleeping accommodations. You have a dorm and you provide for yourself as far as eating. And so you eat what we all affectionately became to be known as cop food, you know,
3: on the fly, you're eating on the fly, whatever you could grab. I had a Lieutenant on a homicide one time. He, he smoked four packs of cigarettes and went for about six pots of coffee overnight on, on when we had two homicides in one tour. And believe it or not, the guy's still alive. That's many years ago. I, don't ask me how, but uh, heavy smoker, heavy uh, coffee drinker, but it got us through the night.
0: It's always the mean people that live like that and they live forever. You know? He was kind of mean till you, are right, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> Melody, you Not have like, any war stories from the legal profession?
2: Well, no, but I can tell you that when I was young, I was in high school. I worked at Howard Johnson's, and we were Howard told Jones. that if officers came into the restaurant in uniform, give them whatever they want and don't charge them because um, businesses want police officers to be around and they want them to come and they they, they like the police presence because it made customers feel safe. And, and, you know, that was great. So I was scooping the ice cream and happy to serve them.
0: You know, that somewhat changed and not totally changed, but during um, 9-11, of course, uh, people and uh, businesses and restaurants and uh, Home Depot and all these stores were donating things to the police department, to the fire department. That was the only time my whole time in the police department that we were allowed to take food for free. Other than that, Oh my God, that's corruption, you know? And um, during that time, and it was so, it was so ridiculous because we had to um, you know, we had to eat and someone had to provide the food, you know? And all of a sudden I I, I think it probably killed the internal affairs, internal affairs guys to, Oh my God, they're getting free food and we can't do anything about it. You know? And we were like, well, dude, cause we're working like 18 hour shifts. You can't even go home, you know, right. and uh, it, it was sort of ridiculous. But Phil, let's do the uh, Joe, the Joe Murray commercial.
3: Okay, Joe Murray, attorney at law. So if you find yourself in some type of a legal jam and you need legal counsel, there's nobody better than Joe Murray. Joe Murray is not only a terrific criminal defense attorney; he's also a retired 15 year member of the NYPD. So he literally knows both sides of defense. Joe Murray's also a boxer, so he may be able to provide that knockout punch on your case. If you need to get a hold of Joe, his website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could reach Joe on email at joe at jmurray-law.com.
0: Well done, Phil. You know, guys, I, I want—I just want to thank uh, Melanie and uh, and Phil today because, you know, i as i tell you guys sometimes sometimes i just come up with an idea for a show and i i I say i'll I'll go on myself but i i I, phil called me and i said you want to come on he says yeah and melanie i gave her a call and she was like oh i can't do it i'm in my pajamas i said well if you can do it do it but and she showed up and i want to thank you so much and you look fantastic from pajamas to dressed up as the actress melanie little uh and Phil, oh, you're always ready, dressed you. like a wise guy. So even when you sleep, you'll look like that. So hey. <laughs> he's ready at all times. So, you know, guys, I, I, doing a matinee show, an afternoon show, it's, uh, it, was, it was great to get you guys here. Uh, Phil, your final thoughts.
3: My final thoughts, I'm going to read the names of the victims again. Xana Canodal, Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, Kaylee, Gonzalez. Please keep those people and your thoughts and prayers and their families. They've gone through. They, they, these kids were slaughtered. Let's pray and hope for justice in this case. Uh, Again, the families, I understand the frustration. Just have some patience. The gag order is in place. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it has to remain that way. But uh, we're going to keep on top of this case. Anything new develops, we'll definitely be on the air. Like Bill said today, uh, on a pinch, on a fly,
0: boom, we were on. And I thank you guys for that. Melanie, your final thoughts?
2: Uh, And also remember that when the preliminary hearing comes around, uh, court proceedings are public. So there's going to be people in the courtroom. There are going to be reporters in the courtroom. They may not use cameras in the courtroom. I don't know whether that's been ruled on or not. Or some of the trials that we're listening to now just have audio that you can listen to. But there will be live tweeting from the courtroom. So we will know a lot more. Um, And whatever is presented at that preliminary hearing, we can assume that it's going to be reported on. So we will know more then. And that's a uh, little more than a month away.
0: Absolutely. You know, guys, this is um, this case, uh, the Idaho quadruple, which, you know, again, Phil said before, Ethan Chapin, Zaina Canodal, uh, Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonsalves. It's It's internationally known and people follow this case. And the thing that everyone wants to know is why, you know, why did this happen? You know, and keep in mind, this is going to be, uh Covered by worldwide media. In this case, well, the prediction is that it probably will go to trial. You know, and you got to also just realize that uh, not everything that the media puts out there is true. So you know, use your use your head. Use what you learn from being a true crime aficionado. Use what you learn from listening to us. What you learn from listening to Duty Ron, and take it with a grain of salt. There's already a guy writing a book who. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. We've already made him famous, or not by devel- uh, famous <laughs> enough by devoting an entire episode to him. But he came up with so many inaccuracies that we were like laughing at it. And, you know, another arrogant New York Timeser, a former New York Timeser, And uh, so just just take it with a grain of salt and realize the most important thing to realize is that these were four human beings that lost their lives here with four families and an entire town of Moscow, Idaho, and a a community, University of Idaho, that will never, ever be the same. We'll never get back what it was like to be at the University of Idaho before these these four murders occurred. So just keep that in mind. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff on behalf of attorney Melanie Little and former detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Have a great day. Stay safe, everyone.
5: So just ain't enough